like I'm invisible. <laughs> Good morning, beautiful people. Welcome to Love Bass Love Talk. I'm Bass Rolls Ivy, and that's Harry doing his best Halloween rendition of the Invisible Radio uh, Station Manager. <laughs> Harry's a bit brisk. Yeah, I, I go check my the- plants outside. I was like, I mean, I should have brought the babies in. No, no, no. It's it's good weather. I mean, it's gonna turn summer in two days. So. Well, it is, but I'm just saying, it's a little brisk. That's the only part of this season that I hate—the up and down oh. of the weather. That that's where everybody starts getting colds. That's not how you get colds. You know that, right? Yeah, well, you, you, you know, because people, people all of a sudden, you know, it starts getting colder. They don't know how to dress. A, a lot of them. That's not how you get colds. Colds are germ viruses. It has nothing to do with the weather. I think it's the weather because people, you know, every, no. every uh, autumn, People start getting sick. That's because they're not washing their hands enough. <laughs> That's all that is. Oh, we need to <laughs> post that up everywhere. We should. Well, I guess that's why I don't get sick a lot, Babs. Because you wash your hands. Because I'm a neurotic who has to continuously (laughs) wash his hands. Wash your hands. People that don't wash their hands. And you know what? Here's the thing. If you wear a mask, it'll it'll cut down. I mean, it. you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were masking up, it pretty much wiped out flu. Right, I think was, I think it was more that also that you were like you were just saying people were actually worried about their. Uh, I think I got a ghost in my kitchen. Stuff just <laughs> fell. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> people were actually cleaning their hands. They were worried about their cleanliness, their hygiene, everything. Yeah, yeah. And all of, you know now every all of it's gone out the window. Everybody's back to not washing their hands. You know, it's it's disturbing. That's why I, I I always hope that I um when I go use the restroom at work that I go by my that I don't see anyone because then if I see them and then I have to deal with them with, for the rest of the day knowing that they didn't wash their hands. <laughs> Because now everything they hand me, everything. Harry, I, Harry, are you judging people? I'm just, I don't judge people. You, you know, judging is not knowing what their behavior is. And oh, I, you know, I'm a complete asshole when I see people don't wash their hands. Harry. I was like, what? You are actually <laughs> not washing your hands? I, I could, you know, in my head, I'm doing that. I go, what? Oh, no, I do it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'll stand there and be like, I don't understand how people can't wash their hands. That's nasty. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody gonna shank me if I don't stop that. <laughs> Start yelling at people. You're nasty You're in the bathroom. <laughs> nasty. I mean, like, it why are you be- washing your hands? I don't actually talk to them, Harry. I just say it out loud. <laughs> why wouldn't you wash your hands? I know I should do that. I should do that. No, but yeah, I, I have... I have an issue. That's why if people don't know me yet in the office, there's a reason why I don't accept food and stuff like that. 
from other people, you know? Oh, you yeah, want Yeah, I'm going to start to cut down on that. People's, because yeah. uh, I see, you know what? I'm spoiled by these TikTok videos and YouTube videos. I see people with the way they cook at their house and the way they nasty and they got <laughs> pets and stuff. Ooh, Harry. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I <was kidding laughs> No, I, I, you look, I've Ooh. had pl- plenty of friends who, who worked at fast food places who would tell me, don't ever come eat at our place. All right, don't, I don't want to have that conversation. Yeah, and I'll be like, because that'll just gross me. I, I mean, I'm, listen. I've worked in kitchens for the early part of my life, right? So I know, but I don't, I just, I just, I just want to think that people are good and clean and I yeah. just want to know. My, my friend would say, you've heard of the five second rule, right? <laughs> try, try the 30 minute rule in restaurants. Okay, no, no, no. Harry, I'm not going down this road. Because <laughs> they can't afford to waste Harry, money. Harry, I'm not going down this <laughs> They can't afford to waste it, Babs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, I got I got Charles Warner III coming on in a few minutes to talk about the uh, the Bicentennial Plus Two, right? Because their Bicentennial happened, uh, came and went, but it was during COVID. So they couldn't celebrate, couldn't gather, couldn't do anything. So now the door is open a little bit. And so they're having their celebration. And you know the the it's uh 200, 202 years old. This church, it's the oldest African American congregational church in the world. I, I was wondering the plus two. Yeah. There you go. Two hundred plus two, so two hundred and two years. You know, but you still want to get your bicentennial celebration on. So you you say bicentennial plus two. So they got Charlene Hunter Galt. They're having a luncheon. Uh, which will be lovely. And, uh, and you know, they've got an exhibit. There's an exhibit at the Beinecke that's coinciding with, with this church, uh, with the church's uh, history and celebration. So, you know, Harry, you know, 200 years ago, people kept scrapbooks and, and letters and mementos of what was happening. And it's good to sort of see that kind of stuff, right? Because, yeah. you know, what was people, what was on the minds of black clergy and, 200 years ago yep uh the perfect time capsule basically um it's i i love that stuff i love looking back and you know reading writings or or just you know I, i've read personal excerpts of journals of what people were thinking at the time they were existing like 200 years ago and stuff like that yeah that's the best stuff to yeah. read this is the you know, it's not somebody's opinion of something. It's literally somebody living it. It's just wonderful. It's just that stuff. But that's that's good. I mean, COVID, COVID crushed a lot of celebrations, right? Oh, man. Wedding, celebration, yeah. all <laughs> kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it's good. It's good that they're actually celebrating. So. Yeah. 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 You know, they didn't, they didn't get discouraged and say, you know what, well, it came and went. We can't do much. No, it's, listen, it's still 200 years, whether it's yeah, two plus years or three plus years, still 200 years. So celebrate and... Uh, and uh, a lot of years. That's a lot of years, but what in the world? 
I don't know, Harry. Them poltergeist. Is that poltergeist? How I my guess. stuff is falling? Something, that- something, something just jumped into my sink or something. That's that's the second thing that falls. Yeah, bears. Bears or sharks. <laughs> I was just looking at uh, something else. Is it sharks? Bears. My money is oh, on sharks. Oh, no, no, no. I see what it is. No. Um, I take an ice bag, ice pack with me at night upstairs just in case I need it. Oh, and it's melting and and it's melting and it's just because I put it on the shelf above the sink. Oh, okay. The, so all the ice is just see how see how you could just explain away stuff. <laughs> yeah, go a go sounded better though. <laughs> Okay. I like myself, right? I don't okay. mind being haunted. Okay. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm waiting for, uh, I think I, I sent him the link. So he should be logging in at some point. If we have the correct date. Yeah, everything is correct. So we're just waiting. Nobody's in our hostage room? Nope, no one's in the hostage room. Um you know, it's it's the strangest thing um, with with Zoom that some people could get on easily and other people have difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suggest that everybody register for Zoom with their with their Google accounts. I mean, if you haven't done it yet, it's just kind of weird. If you you know, everybody's had to be in a meeting <laughs> <laughs> in the last three years. So, but if you're if you're having a problem, usually it's you either need to update your Zoom. Oh, there he is. Yeah, there you go. But you either need to update your Zoom or um, or you need to register to make your account, you know, make it more fluid. Everything just flow through. Yeah, that's what I did. Let me uh I had to upgrade and register. So yeah. The upgrade will get you because a lot of people are going and restarting their computer restarting and it's just an upgrade. But yeah. Let me bounce out of here. Okay. Good morning, Charles Warner the third. Hey, good morning. Or or as we lovingly call you, Chaz. That's right. How you doing? I'm listen, I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Um, thank you for having me, and let me be with you all this morning. Oh, we are glad. Is this is this way too early for you? Uh, is this is this your kind of morning? Like, are you a morning person? I gotta be. You know, usually at this time, I am at um, one of the great New Haven public schools. Uh, most likely, uh, over the past three years, it would be Betsy Ross Arts Magnet School. Okay. Are you a teacher, but Chaz? I, um, no, I'm a district behavior specialist. Oh, you know, I did not know that. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Wow. That must be interesting and challenging. Uh, it's both, but um, I think the wonderful thing is being a New Haven native, a lot of these uh, youngsters are children of classmates and friends and people I knew or know. And so um, this is where it's really important to have those community relationships. I'll tell you, that's what makes away or breaks away. Mm. 
I have to have you come back on and talk specifically about about that because our children need support all the way around. Uh, children, not just our children, but children. Mostly our children, but children in general. So anyway, so the, so the Dixwell Congregational United Church of Christ is celebrating its bicentennial. Yes. 200 years plus two. I love that. <laughs> Why is this? Why, so and I know you are. Years, I know you are a, a a history person. You you live and breathe history. Yes, ma'am. So why is this important? Like, why should we? Why should we be concerning ourselves with what the history of of Dixwell UCC? No, it's a great question, and I say all the time. You know, if you go down Dixwell Avenue, there are a bunch of churches. In New Haven, we have a lot of churches. New England, um, in the state of Connecticut, a bunch of churches. And at Dixwell, our prayers do not reach God any better or faster than any other churches. But seriously, but I'll tell you what it is. Um, It is Dixwell's uh, history of living its, its creed and service. From the very beginning, um, Temple Street Church, uh, which was the original, you know, what became the Dixwell Church, was active in making a difference in the lives of New Haven citizens, particularly those Black citizens who were basically ignored and left to uh, make a way in society, make a way in America with no um, help from government. Um, with barely any help from the citizens in town. So these folks were making the way. And because they made that way, Mm -hmm. because they made that way, we have what we have today. So really, if you look at it, Dixwell helped to start New Haven's first Black schools. You have um, the first Black public meeting spaces, New Haven's public schools, first Black teachers, the first Black teachers in town. Yale's first black graduates, Yale Medical School's first black graduates. So a lot of early things that um, New Haven black folks had, we had because of um, many of the inroads made at early Dixwell. So was Dixwell Congregational Church always a black church? Um, it was from the beginning, but the story of Dixwell um, being an independent church is much like the others in town. And, and this is an opportunity for me to talk about places like Varick and St. Luke's um, and Emmanuel that also have their genesis in being a part of white churches and congregations that because of discrimination basically, you know, made it uncomfortable and these black folks decided to venture out in independent ventures. And so, yes, Dixwell was always intended to be a Black church, but it came out of Black people who had been members of Center Church on the Green and um, churches affiliated with uh, what is now United Church. Mm. Okay. So how many members did it have back in the day, Chaz? Like, what was the, what was the, 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 the body like? Um. Well, I can tell you that before the church was an independent church, there were an ecclesiastical society 
of early black leaders in town. Uh, the earliest records show a group of men. No women were listed, but amongst those names were people like William Lanson, uh, Prince Duplex, uh, Robert Park. And these are all folks who were leaders in the black community um, in the early 1800s in New Haven. Uh, of course, Simeon Jocelyn came along and he uh, shepherded them into what became the Temple Street Church um, about 10 years later after they had first formed. And uh, in the original group of founders of Temple Street Congregational Church, you have about 17 women and four men. So um, just like now, Black women have been the centerpiece and the motor uh, to the operation. Mm -hmm. The women weren't really recognized in ministry or in politics or organ organizing um, in the 1900s. <laughs> no, you're no, you're absolutely right. But I'll tell you what I feel like. Um, although they may not have been um, allowed position, they were definitely known to be the power, the force, um, the energy. And at that time, there were women like, uh, and these are names maybe that we know, but we should know, names like Dorcas Lanson and uh, Clarinda Brown and um, Charlotte Asher. These are uh, women who were not just random Black women. If you look back at things from the 18th. He's frozen. Okay. So he'll, he'll, there he is, he's back. Thank you all for hanging with us. Okay, oh, you changed location. <laughs> hey, um, I think I'm back. Okay, you are. All right, good, 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 good. So, um, Babs, what was I in the middle of saying? So you were, you were, you were um, talking about the women. Yep. Yeah, they definitely didn't get recognized necessarily in official position, but um, everybody knew that they were the force. And okay. so, um, you know, luckily their names are recorded for posterity and um, we are able today to call those names and recognize them. And they are the majority of the force, but it's interesting. Um, some of these women who became official founders of Temple Street Congregational Church had husbands or relatives who were involved with the society that grew into the church. And in order to become this independent Temple Street Church, it definitely had to be supervised and approved by the powers that be, um, the congregational ecclesiastical authorities in town. Um, and those folks were obviously the leadership of um, First Congregational Church um, and the churches that are united, but also, um, you know, the political influence in town, leadership, a lot of those folks were congregationalists and leadership at Yale University as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there was a test and, and, and meetings and, you know, um, not an investigation period, but certainly a supervisory period. So if your name made it to the, to the end to become one of the founders, you have been vetted very well. And so the Beinecke is doing, is, is, has some artifacts from uh, pastors of UCC Church from the beginning, yeah. I imagine. Um, well, what, what can you tell me about that? I can tell you that the the, uh, the meat of that Beinecke um, Dixwell connection, the, the meat of the materials come from the Amos Beeman collection. 
And uh, Amos Beeman was an early pastor um, at Temple Street Congregational Church, but he was an abolitionist and um, a civil rights leader at the state. And he was an excellent recorder of um, current events in his time. And, um, and he did an excellent job of keeping details and hallmarks of his personal life um, from early on until the end. And so he created a number of scrapbooks which had been in the care of Dixwell Church um, for about 130 years, I'd say, uh, until the 1970s when Dixwell Church uh, gave them to the Meineke Library, I suppose for safekeeping. Oh, okay. And mm -hmm. so the exhibit that's coming up, people can go and view these artifacts, these scrapbooks. Have you seen them? I have. They're actually online. If you go onto Meineke's website, you can view them. There's a digital collection. Um, great job to Meineke for taking the time to put that up for the public because, you know, free of charge, you can literally go through every page of the Beeman scrapbooks. But there are other documents that Meineke has, and, um, you know, it's good to know that they have them, that those documents are still available. And so what do those documents tell us? Well, one of the things is um, it, it talks about the formation of uh, the group that preceded Temple Street Congregational Church, and that group was the African Ecclesiastical Society. Hmm. And the African United Ecclesiastical Society was really the one of the first organized ways that um, Black folks in town were able to mechanize themselves towards spiritual, moral, and social development. And so the original um, sort of is like a charter, if you will. And it also has employment information about them hiring Simeon and Jocelyn to be their, uh, their official spiritual leader. Uh, Beinecke has that document. And then some other things about the life um, of some early New Haven Black leaders who um, really, really made a way for us today. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so all kinds of ghosts in the machines today. That's all right. <laughs> no, that, that means we're amongst some good spirits, right, Babs? <laughs> I, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I'm going to go with that, Chaz. So, um, I'm glad that somebody kept these records because I don't know how we would, I, you know, sometimes the, the black experience, be it the 1700s or the 1800s is not often well-documented. Um, right. And so to have a document in place here that sort of gives us a glimpse into what black folks was dealing with, what they were up against and what their everyday, ordinary, practical lives were like. Right. You know, well, you know Babs, um, you know, like I know, like our stuff might not be, and when I say our stuff, I mean um, things related to Black history and culture might not be in the great repositories for information, like, you know, the large university libraries or national museums or what have you. But you know, like I know, that grandma in our tradition, grandma, big mama, might have <laughs> an attic full of materials or, you know, um, uncle so-and-so who loved to read had boxes and boxes of quote-unquote junk, but inside, you know, there's gold. And so um, one thing I, I really appreciate is that um, the Temple Street Church folks, the Dixwell Congregational people have always um, been pack rats, and they saved so many wonderful what, materials. What church is it? <laughs> right, 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 absolutely. 
but that, I mean, all of that stuff is gold. It, it gives us an opportunity to look back <laughs> to the past with detail. You know? So talk to me about when did, um, when did the Dixville church move to the space that it occupies now with that brutalist architecture? Oh, it moved there in, let's say, 1969, I believe was the first, um, the first services were held at the end of 1969, beginning of 70. Um, and for about 80-some-odd um, years before that, they had been at 100 Dixwell down the street, um, close, to, close to where House of Prayer is. Um, and for about 80-some-odd um, years... All right, I just need Harry to mute himself. I think years. that's his... No, there he goes. All right, go ahead. Yeah, so close to where um, United House of Prayer is now, Dixwell Church was... Um, first there for about 80 years after moving from downtown so it moved from downtown to the current space to the current no space? Moved, no move from downtown uh crown and george uh, i mean yeah temple between uh crown and george to uh 100 dixwell and about and that was in 1886 they started construction and they moved to babs think closer to Payne and whitney gym Oh, where United, okay. Where United House of Prayer is. Okay. Right around there. Okay. And then in 19, 1970, 1969, 217, where we are now. Okay. Okay. I, I, I would imagine there was a lot of discussion about the, the, the architecture of this church and, uh, and, and what, it, what they hope it to do in the future. Do you think they right. were forward thinking? Um, I do. I think at that time, you know, it was very cutting edge. Um, the, the brutalist style um, was really a style that was, um, I don't want to say promoted, but I, was, I guess designed by the Harvard Five. And one of those people was John M. Johansson. And John Johansson um, did a few buildings in town. Um, and one of them was uh, Dixwell Church. And it's interesting because many of Johansson's works are actually being taken down. So ours... Really? Yeah. 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 Because that style, you know, it's a unique style. And at the time it was cutting edge, but, you know, uh, design aesthetics change. And, um, you know, there was one that was down in, I believe, Fairfield County that was um, taken down a few years ago. So um, there is interest from um, people who are into uh, unique buildings and um, important design aspects, uh, like the Preservation Trust has been very interested. And um, if you don't know it's a church, people sometimes are like, where do you go? When I try to describe the church, I'm like, you know, that castle fortress looking thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about it as a castle fortress. But I, I now, now that you say that, I see it. <laughs> um, well, there are two things. Um, one was that there was some basis on an ancient um, temple from the Holy Land. And then the other thing is that if you look from the top down, so I suppose if we were in outer space or in a plane, it's supposed to look like a prism with, um, I guess, light radiating, radiating out. Uh -oh. So in order to really catch the design, you would have to see it from the top down, which is very interesting, which is very interesting as well. well maybe y'all get a, a drone and fly up there and take some, take some footage. Take some footage, right? Uh, that's yeah, funny. a little drone. Take a drone and like, you know, let the drone do its work, you know. So right. 
All right, so we're celebrating 202 years. You're having a luncheon. Um, Charlene Hunter-Galt is the speaker. Yeah, absolutely, which is a great tie because one, a journalist, but two, she's a civil rights icon herself. You know, as a young woman integrating um, UGA, um, you know, our church has a, a long history of civil rights, human rights work, and so it's right in line with having someone like her be the uh, speaker for the luncheon. Mm-hmm. So when did the when did the church decide on the UCC denomination? Because there's a lot of other denominations in town. Like, why didn't it become African Methodist? Why didn't it become, um, you know? Oh, okay. well, that's a good that's a um, a good question. But I think it has to do with the fact that we're located here in New Haven, and that the Congregationalists were the um, political and ecclesiastical powers in town you know they ran not only new haven for a long time but the state i mean the legislature the governor's office and so um that's who stepped up so really what happened is once simeon jocelyn and the black leaders got this thing moving there were interested parties in the congregational church who wanted to support simeon jocelyn's work and that's kind of how it got folded in. And then Simeon Jocelyn himself was a congregationalist. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is quite fascinating. I love the fact that um, Mr. Lanson, uh, it was a part of this whole part of the, I mean, I guess if you're a Black person at any point, you would belong to somebody's church. Right, but Lanson um, was one of the forces that helped to establish you know, he, he definitely laid a foundation stone to build on, to become the Temple Street Church. But Lanson himself did not join the church until 20 years after it was established. Lanson himself joined in the 1840s. Um, but, you know, before 1820 and in 1820, he helped establish the first group that grew. And I, I want to say this too, Babs. William Lanson um, had been working before 1820 with these some of the guys from the same leadership group that started the church to uh, protest against mistreatment of black citizens in the state. Um, he and another uh, founder of, of Dixwell Church named Bias Stanley um, protested to the Connecticut legislature to absolve black men that owned property from paying taxes because they were not allowed to vote. And he understood that the American nation had just formed not long before under the cry of no taxation without representation. And this was real, especially to someone like William Lanson, because his father had fought in the Revolutionary War to establish the United States of America. In the same country his dad fought in war for, denied him the right to vote. So he and Bias Stanley you know, approached the legislature with a formal petition that black men that own property should not have to pay taxes because they couldn't vote. And of course, and, the and he was a free man. Yes, he was. Yes, he yes, he was well and well connected too. that's another part of his story that hasn't been fully fleshed out. Um, he had connections from, um, you know, his parents days. Now, his parents had been enslaved at some point. Um, and, and that's how his father got his freedom through the Revolutionary War. I, I can't imagine what it must have been like for him to sort of 
be a free man amongst enslaved men, you know, to be here. Because there were slaves here, so enslaved yes, people you, here. And you know, Babs, if you remember the summer when we uh, read um, at the Beinecke uh, for, for recognizing Frederick Douglass's speech um, about Black Americans and, and independence, um, Black people in New Haven in the 1790s had petitioned for freedom for enslaved Black people in the 1790s. Wow. Yep. That's pretty and that interesting. And that didn't formally happen until about 80 years after. So Reverend, Reverend Streets is the current sitting minister. How many ministers yeah. has... has uh, Dixville UCC had. Do you know? Yes. Um, well, I, I can't remember the exact <laughs> number, but it's it's around 20, 20 some, 20 some odd, because some of them were for short stays. You mm -hmm. know, folks were coming to town um, for, uh, for Yale. And once they would graduate, they would move on to other locales, Washington, D.C., New York, you know, places I would leave, you know, New Haven for. And so um, there were short stays. And then you have a number... In those short stays, you have some long stays that really were able to make an imprint. Wow, that's pretty interesting. So they're celebrating two hundred years. What do you, what do you, what do you imagine the next one hundred years will look like for Dixwell? Do you, do y'all have those kinds of conversations? Do you all, think all about those kinds of things all the time? Um, one, particularly because there's a declining attendance in church, regardless of denomination. And so with that, you hope that there is not a declining significance of the church. So, yes, we have those conversations. I would say that the same problems that Doc Edmonds was protesting against in the 1960s were the same things that... Uh, Edward Gowen was protesting against in 1900, the same things that Amos Beeman was protesting against in 1850, the same things Simeon Jocelyn fought against in the late 1820s, early 1830s. Jobs, justice, um, equality, civil and human rights are always issues that are going to be um, on, the, on the chopping block that need to be fought for. So Dixwell, for the next 100 years, we'll be involved in speaking up for the least of these and fighting for those rights as they historically have. The difference is the who and the how. And so one of the things that we are uh, hoping to do is continue working with the young, the youth, the descendants of people, you know, children of the church is what we like to call them, you know, kids that have been born and grown up in the church, but also we always make an attempt to reach out to young people from the community. The, historically, you have things like the uh, Dixwell Creative Children's Arts Center. I remember uh, that. I, I I grew up with that. I took dance yep. lessons. Me too, Babs. Me too. <laughs> I was there with you. <laughs> I remember you. <laughs> no, you do not. No, I'm messing with you. <laughs> I, did, I did go there, too, for, for some years early on. And then um, more recently, there was the Dixwell Summer Stream Program that serviced um, children. And I'll tell you, I must say with the Dixwell Summer Stream Program, um, it was one of the very earliest uh, moves towards stream. 
you know, people were into the arts, but we were into science, technology, reading, um, and, and the arts all mixed together. And now if you look around, you see stream, stream, stream. And so we'll continue to develop programs with young people and programs that reach out to people who are not members of the church, but members of the community. So what's the membership look like at the church currently? Uh, close to 150 official. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and to be honest with you, the um, Black congregational church has always been smaller comparatively to other denominations because mm -hmm. it is not one historically that um, Black people have um, joined in big numbers. You know, like you mentioned the AME church before or the Baptist denomination. Um, a lot of us with Southern roots are more familiar with those. Mm. And so, you know, usually the Black congregational churches came attached to historically Black colleges and universities that were sponsored by the congregationalists. Oh, now I did not know that connection. Sure, Howard. Howard, Hampton, Fisk, Atlanta University, Dillard, um, Lemoyne Owen in Memphis, uh, Houston Tillotson in Austin, Texas. Those are all schools that were sponsored by the Congregationalists, um, many of them with roots to the Negro College incident and the Amistad Committee, the original Amistad Committee. Oh, I did not know. My, my school, I went to HBCU, but my school was Presbyterian. Okay. It was connected to the Presbyterian um, faith. We um, also had a lot of Presbyterian. We, a lot of our ministers, Babs, um, were really Presbyterians. And after they left New Haven and went elsewhere, they, they passed through Presbyterian churches. Oh, mm -hmm. I, then I see, I see the connection. Yes. I, I can see the connection. Yes. So, mm -hmm. all right. So, so you're getting ready for this. You're, you're geared up for this luncheon, this bicentennial. You've got this exhibit at Beinecke. What do you want the community to take away from all of this. What do you, what do you, how do you want to center a Dixwell Congregational Church in the history of New Haven? Dixwell Congregational Church, the history and the celebration is the community's history and the celebration. Um, you know, it, we're not celebrating this because we are the best quote unquote church or the first church in town because, you know, technically Varick existed um, before us, but what we, what we are, our catalog of the achievement of Black people, the history of Black people in New Haven and the New Haven area. You know, like I said before, many of the advancements and achievements made by Black people um, early on and really throughout history, over 200 years, have been with and through folks from Dixwell Church. And so our achievement, our what we're proud of, the community um, should feel proud of and feel a part of because it's through, for, and with them that 200 years has been possible. I love it. Have you always gone to this church? Is this your, is this your family's church? Yes, it is. I was christened in this church. It's the only <laughs> church, church home with the exception of Trinity church on the green that I attended for about three years uh, when I was in the Trinity boys choir. Uh, but this is my church home and my parents, uh, my dad uh, grew up AME, and my mom was United Methodist. And when they moved to Connecticut, definitely about three years after they had been married, they uh, joined Dixwell, had been there. My dad, it's almost 50 years for him. Wow. And so, and so when you have conversations with your dad about the history of the church, or do you have conversations with him about what it meant to be in this church and 
what all is, the time. So what is he? What is his take on this? Um, that in order to make any progress, you can't do it by yourself. You need to be in a place that is motivating you and pushing you um, for change and for excellence. Um, and you need to uh, join up with people who are about the same purposes that you are. The other thing is you got to be in a place and, and be behind or next to people who have a vision. If there's no vision, there's going to be no progress. Wow. That's pretty powerful, Chaz. And it's I suspect, truth. I suspect now, are you on the leadership board of your church? Are you part of their council? Um, well, I am on the church council, but I'm on the church council because I am uh, chair of the history committee. So um, that that's what I do. I, I um, look after and that's a good choice. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes sense, you know. And I, let me say, I was trained well. Um, there's a woman who did this job for many years, and I couldn't do the work that I do. Um, I couldn't share the information I share without the work of a few people. But one of the most recently has been uh, a woman by the name of Margot Johnson Taylor, who's a New Haven, New Haven native, um, and grew up in Dixwell Church. And she, for many years, was the, was the historian and the chair of the history committee. And I worked with her when I came back from college. Um, and we still collaborate now. So I'm literally sitting in her seat. As, oh, I love as that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, lo I love that. So I, I suspect that um, Dixwell Congregational UCC will find its way for another bicentennial in the next 200 years. I Man, look, if people like William Lanson, uh, folks who had been formerly enslaved, people who were the children of slaves um, could build something and then it could be tended to through um, Plessy versus Ferguson, through the Civil War, through um, the Civil Rights Movement and still be here. We have an awesome task and we should be able to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So Another before I let you go, do you, does the church have great conversations around how do we get more people to come back to church or come to church? Do you have those yeah. kinds of conversations? <laughs> yeah, we do. And it's funny because everyone has like a different way and a different plan and what we should do. Um, and it's very interesting because I think a lot of that is, is based on what your experiences were um, coming to church or, you know, wherever you were from, what attracted people to church or what you did there. So what it does do, it, it creates a lot of creative programming. And if you look over the years, we've been able to do, you know, all kinds of concerts and recitals. And, um, all those ideas come from the different people with different ideas on how to attract people um, to church. Um, so yes, we do have those conversations all the time. Thank you so much for being a good representative of uh, Dixwell Congregation of Church today. Um, Thank happy you for Bicentennial. <laughs> Plus two. <laughs> Plus two. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, I appreciate you, Val. So the, if y'all go to their website or go to their Facebook page, you can find the information for um, the luncheon, the tickets for the luncheon. That's going to be at the Omni. I think it's coming up right soon, the 24th or the, the 24th. Right. And then Saturday, uh, Beinecke was, um, you know, so gracious to, to host us um, and sharing. Um, documents that they hold with the community. So if you go to Beinecke's uh, website, you'll be able to register to come in uh, in the afternoon on Saturday the 17th to take a look at these documents in person. 
All right. That's a good, that's a good thing. So thank yes. you so much, Chaz. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. I want you to no, come it back is. anytime. I, I talk. Any, all right. Well, you just let me know and I'll be back. Thank you for I, having me. I will, because I, I, I am fascinated by this. And I'm sorry to get a chance to see the, go, come and be with y'all for the, for the film about the HBCU that almost was in, in right. the game. Uh, you know, I've seen it. Seen I've it? seen it. Yes, uh-huh. I've seen it. I've seen it a couple of years ago on Yale's campus, uh, but I wanted to see it with y'all. But I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to see it. But don't worry, we're gonna do it again. So I, I'm know, glad to hear it. And you know, you'll hear first before anybody else when and where it will be. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chaz Warner. It's always a pleasure. Have a lovely rest of your day and a great you weekend. Too. All right. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. All right, y'all. Thank y'all. So um, Chaz is gone. Toto from um, uh, was supposed to be my guest, Harry. They just sent me a message. He's going to um, Simi's funeral, which is today at 1030. Uh, I would be there, too, had I not scheduled back to back stuff. So the Yale, the Yale Sportsman Center might send somebody over to to uh, to be on the on the show. so they might have they might send somebody uh, to talk to talk about the upcoming performance season. So that'd be fine. If no one comes, Harry, I don't know if we could tap into Simi's um, service. I don't know if that would be appropriate, but um, let me apologize for sneezing. <laughs> oh, we heard you sneezing. We heard you. <laughs> we I was heard, you, we heard o- you blowing your nose. <laughs> I was checking the audio on the radio and everything, and. And I didn't have my mic off. That's all right. So. You know, listen, listen. This is this is live and in living color. <laughs> I mean, we do this every single day, Harry. There's got to be glitches, and we do it for two hours a day. Like that's that's a remarkable thing. So yeah, it's gonna be glitches, people. You know, listen. When you watch the award shows and all the other stuff, when you watch those live shows, they have glitches. <laughs> That Chaz Water is a smart young man. He is so smart. I, I don't even, Harry, I don't even know how he carries all that information. He's just, I'm like, what? Well, you know, when 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 you're young. I guess, Harry, because God yeah, knows. That that sponge is full, right? It's not drained. It's impressive. I was like, I but I did not know. Um all the, the HBCUs that he named came up out of the Congress. We had associations with con, with the uh, Congregational Church. I, I did not know that. I, I knew HBCUs across the board had some, you know, a lot of them had churches underneath. And like my my school had the Presbyterians, you know, as part of. That's why that's how I learned about Vespers and <laughs> stuff like that, because it was a Presbyterian church. So and it was and they were on campus. So. Anyway, I, I just found that fascinating. I, I am a fan of Dixville UCC. They just need to have a choir. I didn't want to say that to him, but I was like, y'all need a choir. <laughs> and then when I say that to them, Harry, they was like, well, can you sing? <laughs> <laughs> Which is what they should say, because I shouldn't be bringing up a choir if I'm not trying to be the choir. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. I sing, yeah, no. I can't add another thing to my plate. I swear to God, I cannot. But um, it is, it is, uh, 
I, I like their church. And, I, and I'm a UCC person. I'm a member of a UCC church. I've not moved my membership to a church. I, I may move it to Dixwell. I might do it next year for my 60th, you know, part of my 60th celebration. You know, I just don't want to be, I just, but, you know, I don't want to be committed to going to church. That's the, <laughs> I want to be a member, but I don't really want to go. I mean, I, 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 I the only reason for me to go to a church is just in case. Just in case. That's the only reason I would ever pick a church, right? Just in case. Just in case what, Harry? Just in case there is a heaven. Just in case, you know, all of that exists. Just I'm in Harry. Case. Harry. <laughs> you might as well get down with all of them. That, well, you're right. I mean, I, I, I'm... Looking at Amazon to get my um the beads the what's the Buddhist the Buddhist beads the, oh, okay well you know the Muslims carry beads too so oh see look at that it's a crossover <laughs> thing so I, I'll be good for both I have my I have my Quran I have my, Quran, I have my Bible I I don't know what else I need to what other books out there. Do I need to get the Torah? I don't have the Torah. You don't have a Torah. Well, you know, if you have the Old Testament, if you have the Bible, you have the Old Testament. Yeah. That's the that the Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible. So, but if I you have, want to get it separate, separated. I have some of the 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 Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> I have the Book of Enoch. I have the Book. Of, I have a lot of stuff. What? The, what do you got? Some kind of religious. They well, I like tank to... over there. You're like really, like so. So when it when the whatever happens, you was pull the right book. Like okay, yeah. I well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, my daughter went through a phase. Well, she had an assignment in school where they were studying religions in general, and she just started picking up everything. And I was like, all right, let me keep up with her so that. I could answer the questions that I know are coming, you know? Okay. So I started doing that. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I like all of them. I really love Greek mythology. I mean. I do too, Harry. I, I've always loved, um, I've always loved Greek mythology since I was a Greek and Norse mythology. Oh, oh I just liked all, all of that stuff. Like the Norse mythology is, I, I love it. I, you know, I have... I have a couple of audio books on it, on different takes of it and everything. I, I love that stuff. But I really do. I, I don't believe in any of it. But, but you know, just in case, man. Just in case, say I pass tonight and I'm in Valhalla. I know I've read about it, right? Yes. So <laughs> just in case I'm in heaven. I know what to tell St. Peter at the gates, right? At the pearly gates. So, you know, and, you know, of course, if I go to hell, I'll just wait for all my friends. (laughs) (laughs) No, hell would be, you wouldn't be with your friends. (laughs) You don't know my friends. (laughs) No, that wouldn't be the hell, Harry. Hell would be the opposite of, the opposite of being with your friends. You'd, Heaven would be being with your friends. Hell would be being with your friends' mothers. 
or you know well you, you know you have the torture would be interesting i mean because it is it, it's basically tailored towards you right it would have to be tailored towards you your yes i think so your hell so i, I think be, your hell is your of your making right it wouldn't be everybody just burning in a fire yeah right? that doesn't make any sense because people's hells are different it's yeah. not a collective hell <laughs> <laughs> so we give, you know, we give you a little bit of everything. <laughs> yes. So you know, for some people, sitting in fire is not going to be hell. <laughs> well, you're listening to Love Fast Love Talk on WNHH LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Yeah. Um. So you want to take a break and see if anybody comes in for the? Yeah. Let's let's take a break out. and see if somebody shows up. If not, you know, we'll kick it. All right. We'll figure out. Um. Know what to do. Listen, this is what live radio is about. Live community radio is what we do. Yeah, I know there's a few people um going to the funeral. Yeah. Um because I was I was thinking about canceling too. I was like, I was like, oh, I should I should go to Simi's funeral, but you know, we'll see. Maybe I'll make it to the repass of Keila Lydell. All right, we'll be right back. Okay. on my mind trying to explain what can't be defined and for so long it's been so strong suddenly it's clear now that I can hear these love notes the ones that I wrote oh these melodies There are some memories And these love notes I found in an old coat Mean something new All because of you I 
looking for inspiration I need a little help, someone to lean on Can you hear me? Come near me I've been dreaming my angel will come But I never expected that you'd be the one Now I've found you I wanna stay around you Suddenly it's clear Now that I can hear These love notes The ones that I wrote Oh, these melodies Here are some memories These love notes I found in an old coat Being something new All because of you
Wheels do indeed keep turning. Welcome back to the second hour of Love Baths, Love Talk. I'm so happy uh, that uh, Mr. Harris is here with me this morning because Toto uh, went to Simi's funeral, which is it starts in about 10 minutes. And so uh, the good people of the Sportsman Center um, made sure that I wasn't left high and dry. So I appreciate you, Patrick, and all the good folks over uh, doing the good work over there. Um, at uh, Big Voice Communications, uh, Natalie and Patrick. Thank you. So uh, it is very nice to see Ione. No, Ena. Ena. Yes. Now it's good to see you again because you've been on. You've been That's here right. uh, a while ago, but under a different. Not not promoting your own. Talking about your own music. That's right. You know, I wear um, different hats, and um, <laughs> first and foremost, I want to express my uh, condolences to, to Toto and send my thoughts and, and prayers to him. I actually saw him just yesterday when I was wearing my other hat, uh, my other identity, uh, Maurice Harris, um, working, uh, doing my promotional work here at the, at the Yale Schwarzman Center. And um, 
Yeah. So today, you know, putting on my ENA hat, my alter ego, um, <laughs> my, my artist hat, um, here I am again, and, and very pleased to speak with you in this uh, in this format and around uh, around this topic. I I I love that you have these hats because I I it just makes for an interesting life. I wear a lot of hats too, so I get it. So I I, I love that you have the artist hat, you can have the professional hat, you can have all the hats. And then sometimes the stars align and, you know, all the hats fit. <laughs> yeah. You know, for me, I don't feel like there's that much of a difference between them. I always describe, you know, when the, the connection on one side, I'm an artist and the other side, I'm an arts administrator. And then when you look at sort of the, the shape of arts today, I feel like you really, um, artists really have to be disciplined in both areas, um, really in order to, in order to sort of excel as artists, really. Um, they have to have an understanding of the business of the administrative side. And so for me, I, I really uh, actually quite enjoy uh, working on both sides of the house. Not only that, you know, I really love the opportunity to um, promote the works of other artists, especially works that I feel, you know, that, that really resonate uh, with me personally that, you know, you want want to, uh, want the rest of the world to be able to share in and, and enjoy. I love it. So tell me about Fracture. Fracture. Tell me about this. Tell me all about this. Right. So Fracture, this has been quite an experience. Um, just over a year ago, so a year and maybe a few months ago, um, I was on your program with my brother Rod, my co-founder yes! of 15 Records. <laughs> yes. And around that time, so that was around the time that I had released my last album, For Those Who Remain. So if you recall, the theme of that album was around the intersections of racial, social, and environmental justice, um, inspired in part by um, Octavia Butler's work, uh, Parable of the Sower and Parable mm -hmm. of the Talents. And so that was, um, that uh, sort of led me down a certain path, a certain, uh, and, and really sort of and really sort of just led naturally into this the new wave of inspiration and introspection. So the process around this album Fracture, the, the process of how it came to, to be was a bit different from for those who remain. I think for those who remain was much more um, externally focused, uh, things that, you know, I was reading in the media, things that I was, you know, sort of studying even academically, the connection between racial, social, and environmental justice. Whereas here, uh, fracture became very introspective and in some respects um, a bit dark but also I think in keeping with my 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 typical format with this glimmer this glimmer of hope and so with fracture it was really about taking a step back or taking a step inward perhaps and, and taking a look at all those things that I had put my faith in um, and that I think people tend to put their faith in things like religion and government, and you fall back on the things that you have been taught to believe about love and acceptance. And, and when you see these things breaking down, just systematically breaking down, you know, how do you, um, how do you express that? And what can you do with that? And so this idea of fracture, you know, emerged. I leaned um, much more heavily into the sci-fi um, aesthetic that, that sort of began with, for those who remain, this idea of, you know, leaving the earth or experiencing things that, you know, are that, that feel so unreal. You're asking yourself, could it happen here? And really just um, exploring that further uh, through fracture. But like I said, you know, at, at the end, uh, to some degree, there's a there's a happy ending, or at least a glimmer of hope, recognizing that we ourselves individually we have the power to change um, 
how we see the world and how we build from these fragments, from this fracture, how we repair these rifts and create, um, you know, create a new world based on you know new ways of seeing, new ways of believing um, that work that, that that may work for today and that may work for the future, rather than basing you know all of our beliefs, all of our faith on the things that we uh, might have been taught to trust in from the past. Mm. Did it lift you? Did it lift you? Like if if it if it started off with a little darkness, did it lift mm. you in the end to a place of perhaps? It was cathartic. It was cathartic. So in, I think in that sense, it did lift me because it, it was um, almost at points of purification process. I think, for example, about the, the current single, The Last Time. So The Last Time, it's an interesting story. I actually wrote that song back in the early 2000s. And um, for, for those um, internet sleuths who know where to look, they can still find the original version of this track, which sat with, the, so that the melody of the song and, and the, and the major components of the arrangement um, are very similar. So you'll recognize it immediately as the same song and you'll recognize the, the, the vocalist as well. But this version, this new version, when I started to, to, to sort of pour myself, my feelings into this new version, it, it became very heavy, much more sort of um, almost gothic almost gothic feel. I'm finding that a lot of, you know, gothic playlisters on, on um, Spotify, for instance, have really picked up um, on that element of it. And rather than try to dial that back again, I just leaned into it. I said, this is sort of the opportunity to express like what this song really means beyond the, you know, the original, maybe superficial, um, you know, aspect of this song about, you know, broken relationship. There's a million songs about a broken relationship, but this broken relationship, when I look at it uh, in a new lens and with, with, maybe older and wiser eyes, this new lens had a lot more to do about, uh, a lot more to do with, you know, social breakages and, and breakages in a, on a much deeper level um, that get us caught into these, uh, caught into these cycles and these patterns that um, can be ultimately uh, very harmful if we don't, you know, make an effort to recognize them and to break these patterns um, or to accept that that's, you know, perhaps what we want for ourselves. And, you know, if, if, uh, if, we, if we recognize that about ourselves. Um, so that I think was, you know, for me, it was in, in that way, cathartic or even cleansing mm. to be able to just get that out. Yeah. Now, do you stay in a constant state of reflection and retrospective? And I mean, do you, do you approach all the music with that sense of, let me dig deep, let me, I love that you asked that question, because if you had asked me that question maybe 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, the answer would have been probably not. Asking me that question today, I would say absolutely yes. Ironically, a lot of the my approach to music today is actually inspired by my academic practice. Um, I think about, you know, one of the one of the more inspiring sort of academic theories that uh, I, I've been engaged in is something called Theory U which is, um, it, it's actually, it emerged out of MIT, a professor from MIT that had written about um, ways of, it's like U-shaped, this U-shaped change process. And, you know, I, I think about the three sort of major components. The first, first one is all about um, when, you, uh, when you become sort of interested in a topic, researching everything that you can to, that you can about this topic. And then the next piece is sort of uh, digesting that and understanding it and reflecting on it very intentionally. And then the third part is, you know, applying that, how do we, um, how do we create change based on that? And so I, I actually apply that model to my music as well. 
uh, making it a very sort of intentional part of the process to reflect and uh, not just to, not just to um, I think it's very easy as artists, it's, it's a very artistic thing to do to um, just write about our experiences, to write about the feelings with, without perhaps taking a step back and um, unpacking those feelings and digging a little deeper and maybe um, understanding kind of the roots and the history of those feelings and <laughs> trying to ar articulate those, those more nuanced aspects of, um, of feelings. And so, yeah, I think for me, it's a very intentional part of the process. So when you listen to other artists, like what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you gravitate toward? I mean, I know everybody like, oh, I listen to all kinds of things and that's true. Mm -hmm. But when, when you want to vibe, when you want to be intentional about what you're listening to, what do you, what do you seek out? What do you pull from the, from, the, from the archives? What do you listen to right now? That kind of stuff. Right, right. It depends on, it depends on my mood. Um, it really does. I can tell you that it is, you know, because I spend a lot of time in my own thoughts, um, <laughs> sometimes I do just want to have fun. And, you know, I just want to listen to music where I can just, you know, move and not to think too heavily about anything but having a good time. Um, and then there are other times when, you know, I'm interested to hear how other artists are intentionally using their work to um, inspire change or, or to maybe um, to, you know, to shake things up a little bit uh, in terms of the uh, in terms of the messaging, in terms of the content. You know, I'm thinking, uh, we were talking about the multiple hats I, I wear, you know, I was thinking just recently when uh, we had a student uh, student event uh, here at Yale with Viano uh, Antiano was on the on the lineup, um, a, a, a trans, uh, trans woman rapper from Puerto Rico and just listening to really wow. by how she uses her work to um, and her lyrics to drive um, social change, but in a very sort of using this entertainment platform as a platform for driving social change in a very powerful way. So yeah, so it really just for me, it depends on my mood. And then I, I you know, if I look at my personal playlist right now, um, I was really digging the Deep House cut that came on before, just before this interview, because, you know, I've got a lot of Deep House uh, in my playlist right now that just takes me to, that takes me to my happy place. That for me is like musical comfort food. So that's where I like to be, especially when the weather's starting to, to, to cool off like it is now. Yes. And uh, speaking of deep house music, uh, you know, the, 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 the Queen Bee herself has dabbled into the world of house music in her, okay. what is it, Renaissance album. Okay. Beyonce. And uh, I don't know if you've heard any of it, um, but she, she taps some, you know, old, like Sylvester and some old school heavy hitters. And uh, I don't know if you listen to popular music like that. I love, love it. I am there for it. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to go listen to it after this interview. I have to tell you um, the time and energy that one invests into producing an album. Um, it does kind of, you, you don't spend a whole lot of time, you know, expanding uh, the, your, your listening uh, during that time, or at least uh, I don't. I think that for me, it happens in waves. So now that I'm sort of coming off of the production of Fracture is when I go out and look at look for all those things that I may have missed <laughs> because I had my you know head so firmly planted in the production of the album. So I'm I'm on the lookout now for really great new music that I haven't heard yet. Now, do you get to, you know, things have lifted a great deal. Do you get to go and perform your music? Do you get to go see other people perform music? Have you done any of that kind of stuff yet? And will you do yes. that? Yes and yes. Um, so this one will probably uh, make you laugh just because it's, it's no surprise that 
when Kraftwerk was in town, I was there for it. I went to see Kraftwerk when they were in town. Of course, you know, the electronic music, the connection there. And uh, my having been a Kraftwerk band literally as long as I can remember. So that was a lot of fun. I uh, went to see them at uh, uh, Music. Oh, I have to think of the name of the, the venue. I keep forgetting the name of the venue. It's right here in downtown New Haven. But in any case, went to see Kraftwerk. And I will have a performance of my own coming up on September 30th. At oh. Next Haven, yes. Oh, yes. oh, Next Haven is letting people perform in there. Yeah. Uh, well, they're letting me perform in there. They're uh, <laughs> uh, so it'll be the album. It'll be the album release party. And uh, this event, I hope I'm on that list. <laughs> you are absolutely. So check your email for the invitation. This event is also on Eventbrite, so anyone who's listening can um, can get a ticket while they are still available. This is a really interesting performance, though. We're, we're billing it as um, an excital. So we, we made up this word. It's a combination exhibition recital. So for the past year, as I have been producing this album, I've been working with a group of local um, creatives, Black creatives here in New Haven called the Collective New Haven, the Collective mm -hmm. HV. And they have been um, creating a collection of photography, which we'll be presenting as a series of, of posters, um, uh, in an exhibition style there at the, uh, there at the event um, that chronicles the story of the album. So kind of similar to for those who, who remain my previous album, this album here, while the, the songs can be taken individually, when you listen to the songs and when you listen to the song sequence from beginning to end, um, a, a concept album sort of emerges and, and there's a story that's being told. And so the idea is to um, bring in uh, an audience to actually experience visually what the collective was imagining as they heard the album taking shape. So they had the benefit of hearing the album uh, take shape over the past year or so, and we'll exhibit those works. And then I'll perform um, selections from the album uh, live there at the, the event as well. Wow, this is... This is cool now. Uh, when's the last time you performed? Wow, it's been a minute. Um, since pre-pandemic and actually- Whoa. Pre yeah, and since pre-New Haven. So if you recall, I uh, moved to New Haven in January of 2020. Mm -hmm. And so I think the my last live performance was actually um, in Cincinnati. I spent so much time, and when I say in Cincinnati, this would have been 2016-ish. I spend so much time um, in doing studio production, not just my own work, but you know, studio production for other artists as well, that uh, my focus until very recently actually had not been on live performance. It had actually been on, on studio production. And then as I have been uh, you know, kind of around the release of, of my most recent works, um, not only my label, but uh, other, other arts friends of mine, including members of, of a collective that I'm a part of, the Midnight Oil Collective, also based here in New Haven, have really been nudging me to, you know, get out there on this, get out of the studio and get on the stage. They, they've um, really enjoyed, you know, kind of hearing, hearing the work, hearing the work take shape. And they've wanted, uh, you know, broader audiences to be able to experience that live. So how do you, how do you uh, balance all of this? How do you craft an album, uh, do your artistic professional work, cultivate artists for your label, yeah. And 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 then maybe perform some of it. Like, how do you, how do you, what's your day like? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because um, I, I, it's interesting because on one hand I could answer compartmentalization. So this idea of you have to keep everything in these tidy little buckets. But for me, I think 
that it's the antithesis of compartmentalization. There's so much blur between all of these, you know, all of these various things that they so that they all sort of go together. So it's like one compartment. And then I have another compartment, which is downtime. <laughs> so we've got all this work that sort of fits together. And then we have downtime. So for me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm constantly asked this question. I was actually asked this question just yesterday. And it, it, for me, it just all seems to fit together because um, it's something that I, you know, it's something I love doing. It's something I enjoy doing. So it's never something I feel like I have to find time for. And I, you know, just if I may wax a little spiritual for a moment, for me, that that's, you know, sort of an important part of my own spiritual practice. I recognize when, you know, just check in with myself and recognize when something, whatever it is that I'm doing feels like it really is a drain on my time and a drain on my energy. That's when I have to, you know, really think a little more carefully around, is this something that I should be doing? Is this really where my focus should be? I found that, you know, no matter how busy, you know, my music or the arts administration work um, keeps me, how it occupies my time. That's a different kind of, different kind of tired at the end of the day. That's a very mm. sort of satisfying uh, feeling at the end of the day, you know, that you're gonna rest and you can look forward to getting up and doing that again versus, um, you know, the kind of burnout that you might feel when you're doing things that just don't, just don't nourish you. Yeah. So what does re rejuvenation look like for you? Like, is it a walk in the woods? Is it, you know, what do they call it? Tree bathing or wood, ba you know, what do you, Sometimes. what do you do? Sometimes <laughs> I, I do love to get out and walk in the woods. I do love to hike, um, but I also love to get out of town. Uh, and um, interestingly enough, I think when a lot of folks get out of town, it's to go to some hideaway, some natural retreat somewhere. I tend to enjoy visiting cities. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I've got, you know, again, this dichotomy. Yeah, run to the noise, run to run the thing. Right, run to the noise, run to the bustle <laughs> of the city and then retreat back here to New Haven when, I, uh, when I'm done. So what do, you, what do you want, when people hear this album and, and it releases at the, uh, you said the end of October or the end September of- September 30th. So September okay. 30th, the album drops. September 30th is the, uh, the Fracture Excital, the, the, the exhibition recital release party that we're doing so it all drops on September 30th. So what do you want when when people see it what do you hope as an artist you what do you want people to take away from it? Or do or do you stand back and say you know what I don't I don't care what people get from it. Whatever they get from it, I don't have a I don't have an expectation. Do you do that? I have expectations and I recognize that I have very little control over what they will ultimately interpret from the project. And interpretation is very important. So I have my intention, I may have my intention, but I think the, the, the interpretation um, is what will mean the most in the end, uh, so to speak. So the intention is really a recognition of um, the breakages in our systems. And I'll use that term intentionally broadly. So wherever we fit in that and whatever role we play, and owning that and taking accountability for it, but also recognizing our power in that, that we have the power to change um, who we are. And by virtue of that fact that we have the power to change who we are, we can change the world that we live in. It sounds so simple, but it's a very it's a very nuanced and complicated thing. As we know, when we try to live that day to day, it's one of those things that's easier said than done. That's the intention. Um, but the interpretation, like I said, uh, could be, you know, very different. And that's what the, that's what the audience will feed back to me. I like it. So talk to me about the business of music. 
Mm. You know, I mean, I, I imagine just as a spectator that it has changed a great deal because there are so many opportunities for folks to get their music out there without sort of a big record deal, right? Yes. Like they don't have to, they can actually put their own music out there. And we've seen the success of people doing that um, throughout the various streaming and all that kind of stuff. Where do you, where do you see all that going? And and where do you where do you think you fit in and have some some say in, in how to move your music? It's a double-edged sword, the, um, the democratization of music, as I've called it. Um, and I say it's a double-edged sword because to your point, there are so many opportunities for artists to get their music out um, these days. The, um, the, the flip side of that is um, the question sometimes around quality or the curation or the, you know, um, and the fact that there is just so, by virtue of the fact that there is so much out there, um, how do you choose, you know? And uh, for me, I think that that's kind of the fun part of it, just the exploration and the discovery of new music. Uh, but we also find that, you know, even still, you know, major corporations uh, find um, ways to elevate and promote their artists over other artists, even within these digital platforms. We find that a lot of these digital platforms, I'm gonna sermonize a little bit and go into my, um, go into my, my manifesto against you know, corporately controlled music. But um, you know, what we find these days is a lot of these platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, streaming platforms, um, tend to serve as a wonderful point of advertising in as much as they you know, can, can get the artist's music out there and the curators on these platforms, you know, do a, do a really great job of selecting music based on people's tastes and being able to, to recommend to them um, new things that they may not have discovered, new artists that they may not have discovered. Um, however, we find that unfortunately those same models can be very unprofitable for the artists. You know, just the, 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 there's very little to be made, for example, through just streaming music. And so, um, to your, your point, you had, you had suggested or implied that there may be um, other ways, other opportunities for artists mm -hmm. to, to proliferate uh, their works. And for me, I, I have really been interested lately in the idea of these combination exhibition recitals. So the Fracture Excital that, I, that I'll be doing on September 30th at Next Haven um, is not actually my first foray into this type of, uh, into this type of work. Just recently I collaborated with a group of visual artists um, in Cincinnati uh, to develop a custom, so, so to develop a soundtrack, if you will, or develop music for a custom exhibition that they had placed in, um, in a gallery in Cincinnati. And that music will in turn be released as a standalone EP, or we may flesh it out a little further so that it's a standalone album, but really playing with this idea of, um, of arts collaborations uh, as, as a sort of niche uh, at least for my work. I, I, I like that idea. That's a, that's a very interesting way to sort of, it does a couple of things for me. Um, it gets artists and different artists together, right? You, you're in a gallery space that isn't necessarily used for performative kinds of things. You walk in, you look at the art, you walk out. But now you get to stay and see some art being created and showcased and married um, in ways that people don't really experience. So right. do you think this is a brave new world? Um, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> we, um, yeah, you know, we, this is not, it's, 
it's not new to put music and you know visual arts together. That, that's not a new thing. I think the new aspect, the, the more nuanced aspect of it um, that I've been trying to do is to do this in a very intentional way. So the visual art is developed in tandem with the, uh, the, the musical work. It's designed to be together. And then those components also can be taken apart. So the visual artist, for instance, may, um, may commercialize their works, the, the visual works, the, the artifacts from this uh, exhibition. Similarly, the musician can commercialize the artifacts from you know, the, the musical piece, but then there is this you know, purely artistic piece, this, uh, this, this immersive experience that they've created together that they can also recreate for audiences to continue to enjoy. Now, will, will anything be for sale? Like, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't put a plug in for uh, the collective. So I had mentioned at the exhibition on the 30th that there will be uh, the gallery exhibition will be um, sort of positioned as posters. And so the posters will be available um, for sale and for order at the event, as well as uh, the Fracture album. So I've gotten away from, very intentionally, it's sort of environmental sort of it really comes at my own conviction for environmental conservation. Instead of printing albums, I do promote downloading um, of music. And so the uh, folks who attend the event on September 30th, each person will receive a download code for a free copy of the, of the full album. Mm -hmm. will, will it ever be on, you know, I'm old school. I, I like something in my hands, vinyl, CD. I get it, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we're gonna see up. <laughs> yeah, we, I was like, we I know, I appreciate. Mass, we haven't mass produced the CDs, but I'm sure that we can. Uh, I'm sure that we can make something for you, Babs. Listen, I, I'm I'm here for the environment. I'm here for it, but you know, there's a little bit of me that's like, I still like a piece of vinyl or a little <laughs> CD in my hand, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, all right, so so after you do this, um, are you thinking about the next project? Are you always thinking about the yeah. next thing? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny because, um, you know, by the time an album is released, you know, like uh, Fracture, for instance, by the time this project is re released, I'll probably be a third, if not halfway into the next project. That just tends to be my own process, my own cycle. Um, the music, you know, when, when you think about the work that goes into just releasing an album, so the music for the album is actually done months ago, and it's from then until now, just... Uh, really uh, building up to the exhibition and, and, and promoting the work. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, there's no shortage of, of inspiration, thankfully. And I like to use that, uh, use that time to, you know, to create. And then I'll take some intentional and perhaps much needed breaks in between. To, to the big cities. <laughs> yes, to the big cities. So now when you talk about inspiration, before I let you go, we gotta, we gotta play, um, the song, uh, one of the songs from the, that one of your songs we're going to play that was sent to me. Right. Um, do you, do you walk around with a notebook? How do you, how do you capture inspiration? Mm -hmm. I know when I'm inspired by something, if I don't write it down, if I think, oh, I'll remember, yeah. I won't remember. I get my best ideas when I am running, love to run the Farrington Canal Trail. And usually when I'm about two and a half miles into a five mile run, you get that stroke of inspiration. And I'm like, seriously, I have to try to repeat the idea <laughs> in my head because I don't want to you know, break my stride and then pull out my cell phone and type in the lid. But that's usually where they end up. They end up in the notes section of my iPhone. So, yeah. That's, that's yeah. pretty good. I'm, yeah. I, I love that people run that Farmington Canal. It, it, it runs by my house. I live in New Hallville. 
So I, I, I always see people running it, running forward and backwards. I used to walk it. I used to run it when I could run. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that we have that little gym in our city for yes. people who uh, come into town and need some running in the city. So I, I, I certainly enjoyed this, this conversation with you. Um, I'm looking forward to this, to this EP launch or to this ex- exhibition music thing. I'm looking forward to it. So thank you so much for, for um, jumping in for Toto today. I appreciate you so much, Ioni. And uh, Harry, if you want to, if you want to play us out with, uh, with the song, with the music, I'd appreciate that. And uh, I will see you, Ioni, when you, uh, when you launch, when this drops. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you so much.
My producer gonna cut us off, but man, that was hot. Thank you, thank you. I see you in a whole different light. That was like bad boy <laughs> rock star. Uh, Yoni, that's pretty hot. I'm gonna tell you, you, I like it. Nice groove. Thank you so much for letting us play it. Thank you so much for playing it, and I, I hope that you are able to make it on September 30th. I hope that everyone listening uh, is able to make it on September 30th to the uh, to the excital. All right. I'm, I'm excited. You have a good weekend. You and uh, I'm a, I'm a, this is in my head now. I'm going <laughs> to download it and play it some more. <laughs> Thank you so much, my friend. I'll see you soon. See you. Bye. Thank you, Harry. I'll see you on Monday. Y'all have a good weekend and be safe out here. All right. Bye now. <laughs> mm-hmm.